For our Comcast Competition Talks with Leading Experts, we have today Luís Cabral, Paganelli Bull Professor of Economics and International Business and Chair of the Department of Economics at the Stern School of Business of NYU. Professor Luís Cabral holds a PhD from Stanford University, which he carried out under the supervision of Paul Milgram. He has an outstanding publication record at top scientific journals that materialize his important contribution to industrial organization. Seemingly every economic student is familiar with his book, An Introduction to Industrial Organization, which is actually a textbook in universities all around the world. Professor Cabral's research focuses on the determinants of industry dynamics and has produced an array of policy implications regarding antitrust and the role of competition agencies on both sides of the Atlantic. Luis, welcome to the ADC. It is my pleasure to do this Comcast with you. Thanks for having me. Luis, you have devoted much research to the dynamics of firm interaction and innovation in the market. You have looked at switching costs, network effects in platforms, persistency of leadership, market tipping, innovation, a wide array of key aspects that help shedding light on the drivers of market dynamics. In your recent paper, Standing on the Shoulders of Dwarfs, Dominant Firms and Innovation Incentives, you analyze, in the context of firm asymmetry, this is with giants and dwarfs, how the antitrust treatment of dominant firms can affect innovation rates. I can help pointing out the intuitiveness of the title of the paper. Could you please help us understand how this title captures the nature of your results? So my idea is that many of the modern high-tech industries are characterized by the dominance of one or two very large firms, my giants, so to speak, who uh, have a very special relation to a fringe of many small firms, which can be characterized either by imitation or acquisition. That is, sometimes very large firms will acquire a dwarf, quote-unquote, as when Microsoft acquires the firm that gave them uh, Excel or PowerPoint, or Facebook acquires uh, Instagram, But many other times, the large firm will copy or imitate the small firm and create their own version of uh, something that already exists uh, in a small firm, Um, such as, you know, Google creating Google Play, which is their own version of a streaming service which already existed in uh, other places. Or again, to return to Microsoft, creating uh, Microsoft Word, which to a great extent Uh, is a copy of an existing uh, word process that already existed. So what I'm interested in is looking at the implications of of, of these asymmetries between giants and dwarfs for uh, the rate of innovation in a given industry. Does imitation acquisition help or hinder innovation? That is the question. Given that those are the questions, Luis, uh, can you tell us in a nutshell what the key results are of your research in this paper? Well, I would mention three, I believe, important results. The first one is that absent technology transfer, which in some cases is probably the right assumption because technology transfer sometimes is difficult, absent technology transfer, and an increase in the asymmetry between giants and dwarfs hinders overall innovation in the market. And I call this, and some people call this, the shadow of Google effect. It's the idea that when there's a giant present in the room, in the industry, that might detract from incentives for the small firm to innovate because it knows that, at best, it will be imitated by Google and it will not be able to sustain the competition from such a large uh, giant in the industry. 
Picking up on, on precisely these effects that you were pointing out, Luis, your conclusions have uh, strong implications uh, for uh, merger policy. How would you uh, sum up, uh, uh, in terms of guidance for competition agencies, that particular effect that you mentioned uh, uh, in terms of merger control? Right. Perhaps I should, uh, before answering that question, I just realized that I only mentioned one of my three results. Perhaps I can mention two other ones, which are also important in terms of uh, competition policy. One is the idea that introducing technology transfer does have a, a, a beneficial effect on, on research, and that's basically the idea that, that small firms, instead of fearing being imitated, are going to be looking forward to being acquired, and that may create a very positive incentive to innovate. And the third one is that if you also consider the possibility of radical innovation, that better markets for technology, although they increase the incentives for gradual in, incremental innovation, they may actually decrease the incentives for radical innovation. So these are, broadly speaking, the three main results. What does that have to do with uh, competition policy? Well, a lot. Um, I would say that if you compare, for example, the United States and Europe in the past uh, 15, 20 years in terms of their treatment of dominant firms, I would say that U.S. policy has been largely very lenient with respect to large firms. So allowing for these, uh, for these very large asymmetries to, uh, um, to occur and continue, whereas Europe, um, pretty much all of the commissioners at DigiComp have had a much fiercer and stricter policy with respect to dominant firms, be it Microsoft, be it Intel, be it Google, be it Apple. Pretty much all of the giants have uh, considerably suffered from the scrutiny of competition authorities in Europe. So uh, in that sense, my uh, first result would suggest that the European stance has been better in terms of incremental innovation in a context uh, uh, without, without technology transfer. I would say that um, in a context with technology transfer, the opposite may be the case. In fact, if you, if you go and look at um, Tel Aviv, uh, one of the greatest centers of uh, technology innovation in the world, uh, pretty much the business model of every small single firm is to be acquired. They don't even think about the market. In fact, their market typically is very small, Israel. All they want is to be acquired by Google, so for, or Google, or Microsoft, or Apple, or whatever, Facebook. So for them, the fact that Google is very big is actually not a bad thing. It may even be a good thing. So as often happens in economics, you, 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 you might have contradictory effects going on here. Um, finally, um, intellectual protection policy may also have a role to play. And what my analysis does is to show the um, interplay between competition policy and IP policy. They're frequently treated somewhat differently, uh, but they actually uh, they are in many ways uh, two types of policy that ought to be uh, looked at uh, together. Um, in, in what you have described, uh, you mention at all times a distinction between incremental innovation and radical innovation, and that is actually a key aspect of your paper, and that allows reconciling some of the results in the literature which is long-standing. Can you uh, uh, address this distinction in between radical and incremental innova innovation, the way you treat it in the paper, and what do you think are the main drivers behind each of these two types of innovation? Right, that's a, a very uh, a good question. The literature has never been very, very clear about what it means by radical and incremental. In the context of high-tech industries, at least the way I look at it, 
what does characterize many of these industries is that there is a, a platform or an ecosystem or something like that. For example, there's the uh, Apple iOS ecosystem. There is the uh, Google platform. In, in other words, there's the Microsoft operating system and ecosystem. All of these large firms are characterized by a sort of platform on top of which many of the uh, incremental innovations take place. In this context, the way I think about radical, inno radical innovation is the emergence of an entirely new platform and ecosystem, a new Google, a new Microsoft, a new Facebook, a new Apple. So that's what I would refer to as radical innovation, whereas incremental is just a new product, a new service, a new app within a given ecosystem. The reason why I believe, and this has not been really thought much thought about, there is a, a certain tension between the two, is that as I improve the markets for acquisition, I am increasing the incentives for incremental innovation for small firms in Tel Aviv, say, coming up with new apps, new incremental applications in a given ecosystem. But I'm also reducing their incentives to be the next Google. It's what I call the complacency effect. If the incentives for coming up with an incremental innovation and being acquired are so high, then the other side of that same coin is that my incentives to disrupt that system entirely are also lower. And so I believe that in terms of both competition policy and especially innovation policy, it's important to be aware of this important tension between radical and incremental innovation. Luis, your research is particularly relevant uh, uh, in the digital area because, as you say, as, as you mentioned, one salient feature of uh, many industries in the digital space is the presence of a dominant firm. Uh, can you uh, provide further intuition to all of what you uh, described uh, of, of, uh, to the results of your paper with some practical examples or some more practical examples, um, even mentioning some high-profile cases, because the implications for an antitrust and merger policy are, are different, and there are important cases today uh, from both uh, these dimensions of competition policy. So can you just give us some more practical examples, Luis? So I believe that many of the examples that I mentioned earlier, uh, Google, Microsoft, Intel, for example, are examples where there may be a certain tension between traditional competition policy looking at consumer surplus from a, say, relatively static point of view, and innovation policy. There's nothing new about that, in a sense, that tension that always exists, that monopoly power has a, is detrimental to consumer surplus in many ways, but it may also be uh, the spur for uh, additional innovation. What I think many of these new industries doing is, is, is to heighten that, that tension in, in a variety of ways. And in a certain sense, this is actually not strictly speaking in my paper, I should say, but I think it is worth mentioning. I think that just as in the 20th century we had a series of natural monopoly situations in typically in utilities, electricity, basic telephone service, and so forth, I think the 21st century is uh, uh, bringing us a series of new, quote-unquote, natural monopolies in a, on a completely different space, which is the, the uh, digital space. And the reason for the natural monopoliness of, 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 of these examples is largely due precisely to those platforms that I was mentioning, where not only you have 
network effects, meaning that the bigger the platform is, the greater the benefits for their users. But there's also what you might refer to as the uh, virtuous circle of data. Big data allows me to have better platforms because I have better recommender systems, I have better AI systems and so forth that provide a better service to customers or to whoever the agents are being served by a given platform. And a better service means that I have more customers, means that I'm able to acquire more data, which in turn means that I'm able to improve it even further. So we're seeing that with Amazon, we're seeing that with Google, we're seeing that largely with Facebook, now with the whole issue of, of curating content for its users. I think this will bring an enormous challenge to competition policy in the 21st century, just like natural monopolies did in the 20th, 20th century. We'll have to find a combination of antitrust policy and regulation to try to maintain the right balance between the network effects and learning by doing, which are enormous effects of learning by doing, but at the same time uh, not allowing these natural monopolies from you know, essentially harming consumer as frequently uh, unregulated, unbridled natural monopoly will. Certainly a big challenge for competition uh, agencies and, and one that has stirred a lot of debate. Thank you, Luis, for providing your, your views on this topic. You're very welcome.